0: you <sharp inhale> To the Cult House Podcast, I'm your host Roger Riddell. Joining me on this episode is Three Teeth frontman Alexis Minkola. How are you doing, Lex?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. Also, that's Minkola. Yeah. It's Italian. It would be a sin to cut the vowel short in the Italian dialect. So. <laughs> you know, I'm
0: uh, from Kentucky originally, so we don't always talk so good.
1: <laughs> I, 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 will, I, I won't hold it against you. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, no, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a while. Um, I had been thinking about launching a podcast for you know a couple of years, and then after that conversation that we had for Revolver last year, uh, the like afterwards, I just kept thinking, man, I could have like carried that on for a while. No, I uh... remember.
1: Yeah, we had a great conversation. There's, you know, I I, I like talking in general. All I think conversation is sort of dying. I've had a theory about podcasts where I think that um, it's sort of like it, it's starting to fill a space where cooking shows we're, we're filling, where, you know, cooking is so, uh, you know, intrinsic to the human experience, like, you know, meat over flame or whatever. It's like it's it's in us as humans, but yet no one cooks anymore. So we love watching people cook. So we we sort of crave that because it's missing from our lives. Um, so now I think the same thing's happening with conversation where, like, human beings are social creatures. We need to converse, but I think it, it's sort of a dying art. So all we do is listen to podcasts now because we want to hear other people have conversations. At least, so.
0: Yeah. I mean, for like the last year, a lot of people just haven't been able to socialize like they otherwise would have anyways.
1: Totally, totally. And not to say that like, you know, conversation was on an all time high before that. I think conversation is sort of dying, you know, uh, due to things like text and, you know, people rarely pick up the phone and talk to anyone. We're sort of, having these sort of like a super efficient sort of utilitarian micro dialogues just to keep going in our, in our sort of high paced days. So yeah, I think that, um, you know, COVID was a, maybe a death blow to conversation um, that was already sort of, uh, I guess, on the ground and bleeding, so. You
0: know. Yeah, and the thing that really kind of sucks about everything shifting toward text messaging too, for me has just always been that you can't really read like There's nuance, no yeah
1: there's no tone you know? <laughs> uh, and unless it's someone you know really well and there there's like sort of an implied tone but yeah i mean there's so much stuff that gets lost in text messages that like you know the same thing with emails like everything always comes across as snarky like it's really easy to be snarky in text and emails um which i can't fucking stand like i feel like everyone's just kind of like slightly meaner in emails for some reason um but yeah i think that you can't, you can't beat good old-fashioned in-the-room conversation. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I mean, uh, when you add social media on top of that now, everyone thinks that they're a comedian, so everyone's just trying to be snarky all the
1: time. Which is funny, too, because I think about how, like, you know, when you're dealing with things like social media, like, you can, like, workshop your responses and, like, yo, is this funny? Should I write this? And, like, the sort of real-time sort of uh, wittiness is like really dying because you meet people that are super funny online in person and like they're not funny or witty at all and have no sense of timing but online and behind the keyboard people can be really fucking you know hit you with those zingers but like you know that stuff is starting to kind of die as well in, in real time which is why i think that when you hear people on podcasts that actually have that sort of gift for the gab that people are like whoa this is crazy
0: yeah, and I've I've uh, heard you talk about the uh, wearing sunglasses a lot before about how that kind of uh, you know adds that layer of protection from uh, from people, which is interesting because I've heard Jack Nicholson kind of say the same thing before, where it's yeah. like you know the eyes are the window to the soul, so this is like armor
1: for for it is. It's sort of my for, one. It's yeah. like a you know it's a boundary for me. It's a way to sort of retain like a certain facet of my private life. Is you know I I, I like to engage my fans a lot and stuff like that. So for me, just to sort of have like you know that one little barrier sort of preserve something slightly sacred to me is just wearing glasses
0: and uh you guys have been out in uh joshua tree for what close to a year now
1: yeah we have close to a year starting in uh, june of last year that we sort of uh, achieved our escape velocity from los angeles and decided to kind of you know set up shop out there and, and really find a new environment to kind of inform our writing um, you know, it, it was really kind of at the height of the lockdown in June of last year where the, I think the anxiety was like really palpable in the city. It was like really, you know, it was like people like would occasionally like leave their apartment to do some push-ups like in the middle of the day. And like, it felt like sort of like the prison yard of like when they let people out of their cells and stuff like that. It was really strange. So I was like, all right, I'm getting out of here. So we went to the desert and, uh, kind of never looked back. Like we really fell in love with it. Some of us have even like relocated out there full time and stuff like that. So yeah, the desert has been something that it's weird. I didn't think I was gonna like it as much as I did and I just really fell in love with it.
0: Yeah. So uh I also saw that you had contributed an afterword to a new edition of Sex, Drugs and Magic by uh, Robert Anton Wilson.
1: I did. That was like a that was a real big honor. Like that was something that I got really excited about because I've been, I've been such a huge fan of, of Robert Anton Wilson's work and it's like, you know, like life-changing sort of uh, pieces of literature for me, like Prometheus Rising was one that really just changed the way I thought in general. And, um, you know, as a, as a sort of thinker, you um, know, sort of like humorist, I've just really always loved his work. <clears throat> and I was sort of provided the opportunity by a mutual friend, Grant Morrison. Um, I mean, obviously Robert Anton Wilson's dead, but the people who uh, I guess manage the estate, which is uh, his daughter, Christina, and uh, another gentleman from Hilaritas Press uh, named Rasa, who had reached out because uh, Grant Morrison, the comic writer, is a friend of mine, and he had recommended that I also participate in it. So um, shout out to Grant for that. That was super cool with him. And, you know, it, they kind of gave it to me as like, hey, like, here's the, here's the book that we're going to do it on. I'm like, you can kind of write whatever you want. And I just sort of pitched them this sort of batshit idea of, Sort of trying to create a corollary between the alchemical primes of of salt, sulfur, sulfur, and mercury and comparing it to sex, drugs, and magic. And I don't know if you've read the thing yet, but it's pretty funny. I tried to take what approach that Robert Anton Wilson would approve of where it doesn't take itself too serious, but there's still a ton of fun information in there while just making sure that all in all, it's just pretty funny.
0: I haven't read that yet, but I did read the uh, article that you recently wrote for Revolver.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, look at me, I've yeah. been writing so much lately, it's fun, um, which is something I really feel like after this record I, I'd like to explore more, because I've always enjoyed writing, um, and I just like, it's funny, I just haven't had the time because we tour so much, um, but now that we've sort of had this great pause, it's allowed me to sort of, you know, take my time working on a record, also take on these sort of side writing projects that have sort of been thrown into my lap, where uh, the Revolver thing as well, they had, um, they had discussed uh with our publicist about doing a piece on um our time out there and we had all these amazing photos because we've been documenting so much of it um that they were like cool do you like want to write a little intro and i was like sure and like the little intro just continued to evolve and i just sent it to them they're like we love this we're just going to publish the whole thing i was like cool so um i basically did someone's job over there without getting paid. (laughs)
0: you know the uh the two photos in that uh in that piece that were basically like your decapitated head on the ground uh i was looking through it and i was just like oh that's that's pretty good effects
1: yeah no it was uh that was super funny because that's so uh there's a band called new year's day and, and ash costello is a friend of mine and she had asked me to be in a music video of hers i said sure um and she was like we're gonna cut your head off and we're gonna uh the girl, Lainey, who did my President X mask, who is also did like the Lil Nas X effect, she's super awesome, really talented. Um, she was working on that and I was like, oh shit, well, Lainey's working on it. And they were like, cool, we should decapitate your head. And because I already have a life cast made from when we did the President X mask, it was really easy for her to essentially like rebuild me as a, as a head that they were gonna cut off and have the sort of practical effect and sort of the 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 deal was if you're in the video you can keep your cut off head so i was like say no more i'm in i get to keep a cut off head of mine and you know we were sort of out in the desert getting super weird and you know occasionally just you know maybe on some mushrooms and just kicking around my own cut off head which is is a is a weird thing to do while you're hallucinating but super fun you know and the uh
0: the desert's uh just kind of uh a weird like otherworldly place in general at times uh how has that really, influenced really, yeah. the album that you're working on
1: i think it's given us a uh a sort of i mean aside from it just being completely different like we did three records in la and we we're like cool we do not need to do another record in la um, and i think it really helped us take a step back you know this idea of perspective of like looking at a painting and standing in the same position the whole time, you're only going to see the same stuff. So for us really kind of finding a completely different room to look at the painting that we've been looking at, but this is like, you know, from almost like space, another planet, if you will, to sort of look at this painting and, and sort of get new perspective and new ideas. And for us, it's, it's, I guess, you know, given us a this sort of, thirty five thousand feet down looking at stuff perspective which has been really interesting because we've written some pretty heavy scathing social commentary into what we do and you know oftentimes pretty you know it's weird people consider it political I consider it sort of apolitical um, but for this it's like we have really stepped away from that and, and kind of taken a um, it's weird I don't want to reveal too much and kind of dance around it. Um, But a real otherworldly perspective, you know what I mean? Like, off-world perspective. Like, if you were on another planet looking back at Earth, how you would describe the things on Earth, you know? Um, So that's sort of the approach that we've taken on this record.
0: Yeah, I know you had written about how how much more of the sky you can see at night without all the light pollution when you're out there in the desert. Yeah, Uh, it's it's really amazing. Yeah. It's always kind of amazed me that, like, people can look at like all of that and consider like the vastness of everything that's out there and still just kind of think that this is all that there is there's nothing else out there
1: yeah yeah no it's funny There was a, a famous astrophysicist who once explained that if you if you went up to the ocean with a glass an empty glass and you scooped water out of it and you were like there's no fish in this glass Now I will assume there is no fish in the water based on that logic. That's sort of like the same idea of us assuming that there's no life in the universe aside from us. Would be like, hey, you know, we've 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 looked and we didn't find anything. So you know, based on uh, you know, how human beings are, uh, you know, the the requirements for life, that there's probably no other life out there. It just seems so, um, I guess, egocentric and and sort of um, pretty foolish. So I think that being out there and sort of You know seeing the night sky in this sort of like you feel like you're just on a a glass marble hurling through space like you can see the milky way you can see planets with the naked eye because there's just no night pollution out there and you know with that it just really it just sends the imagination to crazy places which in a weird way like you think about that's how the ancient humans saw the night sky because like you know there wasn't cities with like a bunch of light pollutions like you know, the night sky was, was so much more vivid to them, which is why you have all these crazy fucking stories about stuff. You know, what I mean? like they were probably just, you know, like, oh, that's, that's clearly a god. You know, like everything was just insane mythos to them, which, you know, you can kind of, uh, you can understand when you see it yourself. Yeah, and
0: like all those cultures, uh, it's kind of interesting that their mythos, uh, all of their like collective mythologies kind of have these same archetypes running through them. And a lot of these ancient civilizations have these tales
1: of, like, sky visitors. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, even the planets, which is, like, comes from the Greek word wanderers, have all been named after various gods. And, you know, this sort of archetypal sort of, um, you know, uh, descriptions that we give them and what they mean and stuff like that. Like, I just always find that stuff fascinating. Um, And, yeah, this sort of, like, various, like, monomyth that is sort of runs a current through all these, uh, you know, mythos that are in completely varied cultures where it's like how does that overlap with like things that happen like you know tens and thousands of miles away from each other how do these myths remain sort of constant um which you know it it, it inspires a lot of fun questions and you know, that's cool
0: yeah no. know uh last time we talked uh we had briefly like gotten into a little thing about uh the anunnaki and uh that's like it's it's kind of interesting to me like where people initially hear about different things from. Cause I vaguely remember like the first time that I was introduced to the concept of the Anunnaki was as a kid, like fourth grade, mid nineties watching uh, cartoon network. And there's like a Johnny quest episode at the time where it involved the Anasazi, which you can't call the Anasazi anymore because that's like a Navajo name for yeah. like, ancient enemy to describe the pueblos uh yeah. and um it was it's interesting that like that of all places would be where uh you know i as like a 10 year old would first hear about like you know the reptilian aliens or something
1: yeah totally i mean i just find that stuff so fun um anything that captures my imagination i just really enjoy um and whether or not there's any merit of truth doesn't really make too much different to me, because I look at it as just it's fun, it can be inspiring like, we humans love stories you know, anything that captures our imagination which is why human beings love conspiracies because they are so much larger than us like, you know, no one cares about like these sort of things that don't capture imagination but when it's about like, you know Britney Spears, like being you know, processed through like N.K. Ultra, Anunnaki, fucking people are like, alright, I'm in, you know what I mean? Like, it's just fun not to say that I think people even believe so much of conspiracies; they just they like want to believe them. It's the same reason people love reading a fucking zodiac in the back of a magazine, because you know it's just anything larger than life that just pulls us out of this like nine to five bullshit existence. And I feel like you know everyone's just tr- like you know dying to get out of for two seconds. You know, like it's a it's a fun little escape because like there's probably got to be more to life than you know, paying fucking bills and fucking taxes. Yeah, I think your video froze up. Oh, shit. Is the audio still going or no? Yeah, yeah, the audio is still going. Uh, Maybe the video will catch up. uh... This is what they do. They make Skype kind of shitty, so you have to go to Zoom and pay the $10. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, they're, they're scam. Yeah, but uh, you know, on that still, same con- still frozen. Yeah, it's still frozen. Do I get frozen in a cool position at least, or do I look like all crazy and weird?
0: Oh no, you're like you're frozen, like doing this, so you look like a okay, thinker perfect. right
1: now. Perfect. perfect. <laughs> so we'll just go that Like, damn, this dude's just like deep in thought.
0: Yeah. No. Um, so, on that same kind of conspiracy theory note, uh, I was actually thinking recently about how, like part of the appeal of that line of thinking too, is just this idea of um, being in on some kind of like knowledge that other people don't have. Like it's kind of like when you're a teenager and you find the band that no one else has heard of yet.
1: Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think people, well, I think that that goes to like the, the autonomy of discovery. I think people like discovering things in general because it it provides a sense of ownership. Um, And I think that goes, you know, yeah. Like the band that no one's heard of you know, certain people really, really enjoy that, 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 you know, the preservation of uh, the autonomy of discovery is so rare in in this sort of age of perpetual pandering. You know what I mean? Like there's like billboards and fucking, you know, everywhere and and digital ads and everything's just thrown in your face. So when you find something that hasn't been thrown in your face, I feel like there's a, 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 like a set of dopamine receptors that start firing. You're like, Ooh, what is this? Why has this not been shown to me? And you find it yourself that I feel like, you know, there's something kind of weirdly special about that, whether it be, you know, a a bullshit conspiracy that just kind of feels interesting and fun. Um, or, you know, a cool band that you've never heard of that no one else has heard of that you get to tell people about. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of that too, like goes back to the thing that appeals to a lot of people about, um, various religions too Mm -hmm. like and it goes it gets down to this thing where it ends up becoming kind of a purity culture like especially in this country
1: yes yes and no one can pass the purity test in this country
0: (laughs) yeah it's uh it's funny because like people get even i'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this in, in that like people get so far into their beliefs that on like pretty much anything that in some cases they are in them to the extent that it becomes hypocritical, uh, and that they're basically mimicking the same kind of thing that they've mocked people who believe the opposite for doing.
1: Yeah, yeah of course, of course. I feel like, you know, um, that's the sort of, uh, it's like a pendulum that swings of, of, of hypocrisy that eventually will get there on a long enough timeline. Like the thing that you started out sort of, uh, you know, uh, beating your drum against on a long enough timeline, you sort of become that thing and you go, wait, how did I get here? And like, if you're lucky enough, you have that self-awareness, but for the most part, yeah, it's like, I think it's called circular spectrum theory, where essentially both sides of the spectrum are a circle and they, they sort of join at far enough opposing ends, which is, I think you see a lot of that in, in our bipartisan politics. Um, you know, so Yeah, you know, the classic, uh, you know, Unavoidable hypocrisy of the human experience is there, I suppose. You
0: know. Yeah, and I mean, there's uh, there's also kind of this whole thing that that plays into this too, where it's um, the philosopher uh, Marshall McLuhan uh, had posited, like back in the day, that with too much information, basically, like people start searching for patterns and everything, and then that feeds back into that whole conspiracy theory thing being mm-hmm. popular now.
1: Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that we ever lived in a time period of too much information. It's certainly now uh, the level of infobesity, if you will, is at an all time high. I think we are, um, you know, just so inundated with information at this point that it's like, people don't even know how to process any of it. Um, so at that point, you're, you're going to sort of you know, end up in this sort of uh, QA on pitfalls, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. And um I know that, uh, you're like a pretty big gun guy but you're not like um i guess for lack of a better term like you know the stereotypical crazy gun guy in that respect oh no, no I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, yeah. there, there are people that support the second amendment who aren't like you know jerking off to guns and ammo do you know what i mean like um there's certainly uh, i think some very sensible gun owners in this country and i think that um you know it, it's hard to sort of it, it's weird it's like to support the second amendment you don't have to be a violent crazy person you know what i mean like there's it's totally acceptable to be a, a very sort of logical and reasonable person and understanding um why the the second amendment is important in this country and you know as a person that has two degrees in political science you know i don't think it would be a good idea to disarm our population um and you know it's i can understand why people say Oh my God! A school shooting happened. People don't need guns. We need to get rid of these guns. I can see why they say that, but if you have to do your homework and start reading data about it, you go, "Okay, wait. So like this doesn't change anything. Like taking guns away from people, it's like the genie's out of the bottle. There's so many guns out there on the streets in this country. Um, And for the most part, if you really sort of look at the data and statistics of 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 gun violence in this country, thirty percent of it's suicide. Or wait, yeah." I think 60% of it's suicide and 30% of it's violent rather, And like 1% of that is like school shootings. Granted, 1% is too much. um, But, you know, the idea that, you know, taking guns away from good, honest people doesn't necessarily make dangerous people less dangerous. Like there's something inherently wrong with this country. um, And I don't think that like you can pass legislation there's no legislative cures for spiritual problems of a country. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I yeah. think that this country has some serious problems. Um, and I just don't think they're going to get solved by, uh, you know, preventing good law-abiding citizens from owning weapons. So, you know, to, especially to defend themselves in a position of, you know, a breakdown of law and order in this country, which could totally happen. And you know, not to sound like some fucking doomer, but, you know, when the grid went out in Texas for how long? There's like, there like th- I think people were surprised at that. You know, And they're like, oh, wait. So wait, Texas has its own grid. There's like three grids in this country. And like, none of them are that stable. So there's that.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting to me too. Because like, I'd, I'm from Kentucky originally. So like, I'm familiar with people having guns and everything. I'm not like oh, opposed yeah. to people having guns. Uh, but at the same time, it seems that like every attempt for people to even like meet in the middle and agree on like common yeah, sense kind of it's, thing.
1: It's, it's a battleground like, for political grandstanding. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. for one, there's so many gun people who are just single issue voters. They don't give a shit about anything, but they're going to vote, you know, they're going to vote right because, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, the fucking Republicans don't want to take my guns. I'll be a Republican. Cause that's kind of all they care about. You know, probably especially in a place like Kentucky. They're not, you know, like, they have the, what's called the Knob Creek machine gun shoot in Kentucky. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's like the, the, uh, the Mecca of gun culture uh, where for like two weeks, it's like just absolute insanity of people just shooting machine guns um, in Knob Creek, Kentucky just blowing shit up, which it's definitely on the bucket list. I gotta go do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a political battleground where there's no real kind of common sense. Even the gun, like I live in California, which is, probably the strictest um, gun control in the country. Um, and, you know, like, I'm still a gun owner. Um, is there a lot of sort of common sense things like background checks? I'm totally okay with all that shit. Uh, is there a lot of stuff that makes zero sense that, makes, that doesn't make guns uh, any safer? Absolutely. Like the people passing gun legislation aren't people that know anything about guns. So it's unfortunate that you can't actually have real dialogue with people who understand guns and then them passing legislation with people who want to pass legislation that's anti-gun and sort of saying, Hey, we could actually figure out how to like, you know, create some common sense legislation that, that it makes sense, but uh, you know, that shit's never going to happen.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, there's like that whole mental health aspect to it too, where, uh, People can't really even agree to fix anything on that front. I mean like well, uh, but, and, I and, I
1: was... and that's what I was saying you know, if you look at the yeah. statistics of, of of gunshot kills and you know people it's like sixty percent of its suicide. People aren't doing suicide with an AR15. Taking AR15s out of you know out of people's hands does not do anything. It's like the AR15 is just the Honda Civic of, of of weapons. There's just a lot of them. Do you know what I mean like? because it's reliable, it's fairly cheap, you can, you know, customize it, it's modular, you can do a lot of things with it, Um, but it's certainly no more deadly than a revolver, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so the idea that we sort of, like, pick and choose certain guns to demonize because it it allows people to sort of have these uh, placations to their constituencies, be like, oh, don't worry, we'll take, you know, we'll take the the AR-15 away from everyone, and they go, thank God we did that. That's not gonna change anything, you know what I mean? Uh, I think that, you know, there needs to be sort of uh, deep sort of um, holistic change in this country. If we're going to make people less violent, you know what I mean? Um, You know, there was that dude who drove that car into a bunch of people as of recently. And it's like, you know, um, I I think that, you know, there's always going to be people who want to do bad shit to people. um, And it's generally going to be based out of some sort of uh, psychology of their Feelings of feeling disenfranchised or withdrawn or, you know, it's like, how do you create a society that engages people and doesn't leave them by the wayside? You know I and mean? then like, maybe we should start thinking that, um, maybe we should figure out how to get people some healthcare before we decide to say, Hey, no one can have guns. So I don't know. It's such a quagmire of a conversation that at the end of the day, like I don't think we'll ever get solved in this country. Um, I do think that, you know, as the being the second amendment, it's, it's always going to be there. Like, I don't think they're pulling the Second Amendment out of the Constitution in this country. I just don't. Um, so they need to figure out better ways to sort of get people to behave themselves without fucking just saying, hey, we're going to take it away. You know, like, so I don't know. I don't know what the solution is for that. But I do know is I'm keeping my guns. <laughs>
0: You know, I mean, uh, just on the, the mental health front, it's it's interesting how many barriers there are to um, getting people who feel disenfranchised or, uh, you know, just other sorts of, of uh, issues like that, just getting them help. Uh, like, yeah, I heard totally. in California there's, like, a law that, that um, prevents people from, like, I guess, sort of forcing someone to get help. They have to do it on their own volition.
1: Again, yeah, you know, it's... Like... There's a lot of people in California. It's a very big place. Um, So I think that uh, it's probably harder to run than most places, which is probably why it's such a fucking mess. Um, So I don't know. You know, I think that if there were simple answers to this stuff, it probably would have been answered already. But the reality is that, you know, this country is, is, is sort of born of the gun too. you know what I mean? It's like, there was like a shot in like, lexington massachusetts called the shot heard round the world that like the massachusetts minic men like kicked off the war that fought for our independence and it's like a country that is like so it's so embedded in its dna that like you'll probably never be able to change that so again i think that we need to kind of figure out like you're saying better ways to have solutions of having a you know a, a better presence of mental health in this country could only serve us to improve our country so I don't know what the solution for that is either.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at some point it will probably also come down to um, reprioritizing the voices that that are focused on the most in a lot of these debates. Because it seems like in pretty much any debate now, they choose people who are at, like, the polar extremes of anything but don't necessarily represent the majority of people who are probably... No, not at all. And that's to one of the
1: things that drives me crazy is, like, you know, there's... It seems like there's an opportunity for a more data-driven democracy in this country, which, uh, you know, we have these representatives who tell you how people think and feel because they represent. We have this sort of representative democracy and there's these elected officials that you go, wait, who elected these people? Like, this is insane. And, like, they're serving these sort of... Incumbent sort of senatorial positions for like lifetimes, they're like, How is this guy still there? Um, and seemingly no one likes them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like Ted Cruz is an example. Like, how is that guy a representative of a population in this country? Like, that guy is just like, it just seems like the most unlikable human being in the world. And that's who runs for these things, by the way. Do you know what I mean? Like, when I remember looking at, I remember looking at the like showing people during the senatorial races, and I was like, just seeing pictures of these people I was like, who the fuck are these people like it's like i feel like it's harder to like build a career as like a musician than it is to like win a senatorial seat at this point i just feel like no one wants to do it because it's such a fucking shitty position to have but so it's like you just have these dudes who are just like so fucking full of themselves and you know it just seems like it seems very archaic That like here we have you know like facebook has like 20,000 data points on every individual in this country. So why do we need representatives to sort of be like, here's how the country feels, and here's how the people in my district feel. We know technically how people feel. We have data points in everyone. Not that that's a good thing, but that's a reality. Um, you know, if this data gets sold for, you know, sort of what we call surveillance capitalism, they, all the data points are just geared up to just sell shit to you, which is another sort of disgusting thing about this country but like if we figured out how the country actually felt through in some fucking blockchain had that sort of data points to provide us with sort of an understanding of like a roadmap of how the country felt then we wouldn't be sitting here going half of the country's red half the country's blue it can be more nuanced than that you know what i mean like i have i i don't feel represented well in this country here i am you know uh you know where, where does the guy stand who wants to, you know, shoot a gun off at his gay friend's wedding at a celebration? Like, that, That like, barely exists, you know? And you can't support, you know, uh, LGBT rights and be, like, I mean, you can, but, like, there's very few people, you know what I mean? You sure, certainly can't in the bipartisan spectrum it doesn't exist, you know what I mean? To be like, oh, I'm pro-Second Amendment and, you know, uh, pro, you know, social welfare and all those things, like, it's like it's a weird matrix that sort of might exist, but we're never going to know how many people feel that way um, because we have representatives who are just being put in one box or another, which I feel like is really limited. So, you know, maybe at some point, they'll, uh, you know, we'll have a more direct data-driven democracy. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, the data should sort of make the decisions, but I think that the data should could inform decisions that are made in terms of putting certain bills together that could benefit at least, you know, the way people are feeling. That's a crazy idea. I don't know. I'm, I'm, just guy, I'm just a guy in a band. What do I know? Yeah. No,
0: that's uh that's the other thing that's interesting to me too, is just like um uh who people like put the most stock in now as far as their opinions on everything. Like it's uh it was interesting to me the other day that um uh Joe Rogan and like you know whatever anyone's stances on him that anyone listens to him and like actually Uh, takes medical advice from him uh, on that whole vaccination thing. It's just like bizarre to me that that, uh, someone would look to like a comedian for that sort of answer to anything.
1: Well, I think that's sort of where we're at now. We're like, we live in a sort of like post-factual existence because there's so much information out there that we don't know where to get our information from. And we also realize that facts can be skewed and sort of spun with sort of you know, uh, incentive driving various uh, ideologies. So, I think that we're sort of getting more into like, uh, um, dare I call it like more of like a poetic existence where we're like the person who talks the way I like the most is the person who you trust, you know what I mean? Like people invest a lot of trust in, in Joe Rogan, whether or not he is a medical professional or not, because, you know, he's a person who they listen to and he's a gifted orator to the point where they say, hey, I'm now invested in this guy uh as a, as a person that i can believe as opposed to you know uh, a fucking virologist who might explain to you and say hey listen you should get this because i'm a medical professional but people go well i can't trust a medical professional anymore because he's in the pockets of this and that and this and it's like it's like that's just sort of where we're at as a country and it's a fucking mess Do you know what I mean? like it's a real mess um so maybe in the future unfortunately facts are already not mattering so it's going to be like who presents the information the best it's like objectivity will be dead and subjectivity will will sort of uh, take main stage of this sort of like gonzo level existence of trust um where it's just about sort of like how the person says it you know what i mean it's not about what they're saying it's how they say it which is pretty dangerous
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fed even more by this uh, whole kind of culture that's developed where people treat um, politicians more like celebrities than they do like employees that they've hired to represent them, which is technically what democracy is supposed to be.
1: I mean, that's the sort of this this concept of infotainment where it's like, you know, you've seen and I think the media is completely responsible for this. It's like, you know, them just trying to maintain their fucking. 30 minute news cycle where it's like everything is just bombarded with you for 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 ratings you know what i mean so it's like everything has to be presented in this sort of infotainment format where it's essentially like america is now just a reality show on its sort of final season and i think donald trump was i don't think he was the person who brought in infotainment by any means um because i mean i think it was frank zapper who said that the executive branch is nothing more than the entertainment division of the military industrial complex it's existed for quite some time i mean ronald reagan for example was an actor do you know what i mean um i think that uh one of the the biggest sort of you know obama was 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 huge into infotainment he would be on snl he was like the super cool fucking you'd see him on like zach galifianakis between two ferns and they did they became these sort of you know uh kind of fun sort of you know, celebrities, and I think that that I don't think that's good. You know, I think politics should should be kind of boring. I don't think it should be super super neat. You know what I mean? I don't think it should be the the, the sort of uh, ubiquitous form of entertainment. Like everything is political now. Everything is entertainment, and the crossover between those two things in this Venn diagram is like absolutely ginormous now. And I think it's too much. You know, um, I think that we need to make politics boring again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember, uh, and I forget who exactly it was that said it, uh, but there's like a quote that the only thing that you ultimately owe your elected officials is like the absence of your anger to vote them out of office. Totally, totally, I like that.
1: So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this country is more divided now than it's ever been. Um, And I think that, I think it's like, I think the media is largely responsible for that on both sides um and i think that you know i tweeted today it was like sign up for uh, political newsletters on 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 both the right and the left to just watch how politics are just completely destroying this country um because like no matter what happens in current events both things will send a text to you about how they're politicizing it and you'll get them almost simultaneously and you just read both of them and you're like what the fuck like it's wild like it's a it's a total trip. Um, And I think we just need to pull back from that. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, it's like the idea that we still live in this sort of like binary bipartisanship is just insane to me. Like, it's so antiquated. It's so old. It's so just like reductive to like the nuance of the human experience. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to transcend that at some point. But maybe not.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the infotainment thing just kind of reaches this absurd level nowadays, too, where, you know, when election comes around, CNN's presentation, and I think pretty much all the other cable news networks' presentations now are basically set up like it's SportsCenter, uh, yeah. and you're just, like, watching the scores on both sides.
1: Yeah, I'm, like, waiting for, like, the robot fucking motion graphic to come out and, like, fucking, <laughs> you know, fucking put another politician into the boards, and you're like, yeah, you know, like, that's sort of where it feels at this point. Um, you know just the, the way they use their their sort of semiotic codes of symbols and and, and sort of um, the way that their stages are set up and like you know the way the people are sort of reporting the news and you know i remember like even during like the bush administration when like you know like the war on terror was the real height of that shit for me where it was just like the graphics of terrorism was just insane it was like like terror, 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 terror. I remember I started like cutting individual pieces out of those and I would use them as show graphics. And it would just like a compiled like version of like all the sort of fear tactic, fear mongering terrorism news graphics that we're using. And if you, I put them all back to back. And then I intercut um, the the RNC of, of that year's uh, speeches of how many times everyone said terrorism. So it was just that with like Rudy Giuliani, and George Bush and all these people just being like, terror, 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 terrorism, terrorism. And, and we used to play it in a sort of like interstitial content at one of our shows, and people were just like, what the fuck? Um, so, yeah, you know, clearly it's entertaining. We're using it in our shows. You know? Yeah, my, uh,
0: my favorite, I guess, sort of nadir of, of absurdity in all of this in the last few years has been uh, do you remember when the Malaysia flight disappeared? Yes, I do. There's like a whole 30 or 40 minutes on CNN of uh, Don Lemon talking to people about whether it could be aliens or the rapture.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. It's like, it's (laughs) fucking wild. And again, it's like, and this is why people are like trusting Joe Rogan now because the theater of the absurd has become so absurd. you know what I mean? It's like, at this point, like, you know, fact has become stranger than fiction. So at least they like, you know, he or a guy who, who does make probably a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Um, but I, I'm guessing he, he's probably more logical than most of the sort of talking heads out there, which is why people like him. Because he does seem to be a bit of a truth seeker from what I know. But, you know, just because a guy reads a, a couple of cool books and then decides to sort of, you know, uh, talk to fucking kids who like MMA uh, and explain books to them because they don't read them themselves you know, doesn't make the guy an authority on anything, do you know what I mean? Like, maybe they should go read the book themselves and develop their own opinions, but this is sort of where we're at, you know what I mean? People think Joe Rogan's a very smart guy, so they trust him. Um, And, you know, when they watch sort of, like, I remember like people like Glenn Beck, or like, all these other guys on, like, the news, who, like, would just be, like, complete sort of, like, theater of the absurd, you know, uh, political theater. It's like, you watch that stuff, and it's, like, more sensationalized in something like joe rogan so it's hard to trust any of those news outlets do you know what i mean um and at this point you'd sort of go well i don't know maybe this guy has it right so i can understand uh why you know some like misguided bro trust joe rogan maybe more than whoever the fuck is on whatever news channel at this point i don't watch cable news so
0: Yeah. And uh, just to take a few steps back, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that you have sort of a friendship with Grant Morrison. So I was kind of wondering how that came about.
1: Um, We were playing in Glasgow a very long time ago, and uh, Grant and his wife, Kristen, came to our show. And uh, we just hung out afterwards and got super drunk and then, you know, became really good friends. And they actually uh, have a place in L.A., and I would go and hang out over there quite a bit, and we just sort of became really good friends, um, and you know, there's always like, they have these like parties at their place in LA, and it's always just like the strangest cast of characters, like I can't even explain it, just feels like if you were to like have walked into like, you know, like Xavier's School for the Gifted of like Mutants, do you know what I mean? And Like that's what the party <laughs> feels like, We're like no one has anything to do with anyone there like we're all just from complete different walks of existence, it's like Grant just pulling together comic book characters and like throwing them in a room um, and like then just like pouring tons of booze all over it uh, which is sort of a classic night at the Morrison's house um, and yeah I mean Grant's just the fucking man I love that dude his wife Kristen is really really close friend of mine as well and we you know just became good friends as, as sort of a strange coyotes if you will um, but yeah Grant's the fucking best I love that dude
0: Yeah, I've always uh, kind of appreciated how he can take just like a really sort of simple narrative line and make it also extremely complex at the same time.
1: Yes. Yeah, he like sort of, um, he he creates universes within universes. um, And it's like, I kind of talked about that sort of thing in my recent article that I did write for Revolver where it's like, if you stare at any spot in the desert for long enough, it'll start moving and it might just be the tiniest little thing, but you're like, whoa. And then you start like looking deeper and you're like, whoa, there's like a whole little universe right there inside that, you know what I mean? Like all these weird little bugs doing another thing. So it's like, I feel like Grant does that with his writing. It's like, you're just like this basic thing that if you were to look at it at a sort of surface glance, it's just that, but if you start to look deeper, there's all sorts of shit moving under it. And he sort of encapsulates a lot of that sort of like universes within universes within universes. Um, which I, I really like that sort of kind of quantum thinking that's stuff that i think always excites me and especially in terms of storytelling um, so uh, grant is the king of that you know
0: yeah yeah and um he's also kind of got that uh rivalry i guess for lack of a better term with alan moore
1: yes yeah, so uh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've talked to him about that before <laughs> which, I won't, which i won't say anything about him that's because that's that's none of my business you know? Yeah. I, I think yeah. they're both gay writers. I think they're awesome. You know?
0: Yeah, I like to imagine both of them just kind of uh, coming across each other in a public place and they just sort of start doing that Doctor Strange like magic spell casting thing with their hands oh, at yeah. each well, other. I would imagine
1: them both pulling out wands and having like a fucking <laughs> fight, you know, uh, But yes, yeah, they have, they're sort of, a, of of a similar ilk of character, I imagine, which is probably why they're like, you know there's not room for two suns in the sky. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're just sort of like, all right. (laughs) Why space? Yeah, no, uh, their
0: sensibilities are definitely very similar just from a a storytelling perspective. And uh, I don't know necessarily from a personality perspective, because I think Alan Moore is much more of a hermit.
1: I think he's way more bitter. Yeah. He seems like just from like watching him talk about his stuff that's been developed into film. And I'll be like, oh, I really like that. And I'll be like, this was the biggest fucking tragedy ever. And you're like, all right, all right. I, I like the movie. You know what I mean? Like, and he's just like, it's a miserable piece of shite. And you're like, okay. Well, I, thought, I, I thought it was a cool adaptation. But, you know.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, trying to work up the... I guess right mindset to read his novel Jerusalem for like the last two or three years. And every time that I look at it, I'm just like, this is like 3000 pages. I don't know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> come I, in. If, it's not yeah. a, a casual read for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah.
0: yeah well um, we've been at it for, for a while now. So um, I think I'm uh, going to let you go. Cause I don't want to take up too much of your time today.
1: No but no really worries, man. It's always a pleasure yeah. talking with you. If you ever want to do it again, just give me a shout. I like to, I'm full of hot air. I can talk all the time. But yeah, good yeah, luck with the podcast. I appreciate you taking your time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with the podcast and you know, let me know when it's up. All right. Thanks. All right, brother. Take care.